Welcome to Santa Fe College. My name is Vilma Fuentes, and this is our podcast, Developing Global Citizens. Today, we are joined by Professor Mario Mutis, Professor of Art at our college, and uh, Dr. Marcela Murillo, Professor of Spanish and Latin American Humanities. And both of them recently had the opportunity to travel to Campeche, Mexico, thanks to uh, generous funding from the University of Florida Center for Latin American Studies, a national resource center funded by the U.S. Department of Education. Anyways, please tell us, Campeche, what did you do? Where did you go? Who were your hosts? Well, we were very fortunate uh, to go in April to Campeche, Mexico, and we were hosted by the Universidad Autónoma de Campeche, the uh, Autonomous University of Campeche, and we also got to visit the Instituto Campechano. Well, let me tell you about, uh, a little bit about the trip. Uh, would you like to start, Mario? Uh, yeah, we um, we really enjoyed ourselves. Uh, we had a, a great time actually meeting uh, and talking to other faculty, uh, staff members, and uh, the president or the director of the Universidad Autónoma uh, de Campeche. Um, and we got a, a great chance to actually see pedagogy and, and, and education from uh, another culture's point of view, specifically uh, dealing within the Maya culture. That is one of the institutions that teaches uh, the Mayan language uh, as part of the curriculum in their language uh, studies. So let me situate myself and our, re and our listeners uh, geographically. So Campeche, where is this in Mexico? North, it south? It is in the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, maybe about four hours away from... Um, Merida. Two hours away from Merida. Mm -hmm. What's that city that people have fun in? Cancun. Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about four hours <laughs> from Cancun. It is two hours uh, back in time, I guess. That's how you say it. Uh, in the other time zone. Two ah, hours behind. Okay. Okay. Yes. And is is Campeche located in a, a predominantly indigenous area? Like, is the population there predominantly Mayan? Um, I'm not 100% sure about the city of Campeche, but the Yucatan Peninsula definitely has a large uh, Yucatec Maya uh, population. And I think that part of uh, the institution's job is to acknowledge that um, their, their, you know, graduates, their, their students that are graduating work going into the workforce in terms of, like, let's say, medicine or, or law, they are going to be interacting with, with folks that are, um, who's, who predominantly speak uh, uh, Yucatec Maya. And therefore, it is necessary that, that if you are, uh, you know, a doctor, um, that you speak that language so that you can communicate to them in a way that they can, they can understand better so, other than Spanish. So first of all, let me understand, are, are the two of you Mexicans? No, no, we're not Mexican, um, but we do speak Spanish. Uh, so, we're so. Native, uh, native Spanish speakers. But I do want to say that I was fairly impressed with the indigenous, uh, with how proud they are of their indigenous heritage. In particular, when we visited the president uh, of Huacam, Dr. Jose Alberto, he received us and he talked to us about um, Etna the archaeological site that they have in Campeche, and he was very proud telling us about the Maya myths and how this was intrinsical to their um, study curriculum. Yeah, and I think that our background, uh, our ethnic background or, or, or nationality, uh, Marcela, uh, identified your Bolivia. Where are you from? Well, I was born in Argentina, and I lived in Bolivia. In Bolivia. I was born in Colombia. Um, I think we find ourselves uh, in a familiar place, uh, yet with with obvious differences, um, I found connection there through the to the through the the people the Mayan people 
and the instructors like Irene, who 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 taught um, uh, Mayan language, and specifically because I felt that there was a connection between her culture and my culture. Uh, we have an indi a strong indigenous uh, identity uh, at the institution in in Campeche, and that I share that as well with them. Uh, coming more. from uh, Muisca and Pastos uh, uh, background and a Muisca Pastos culture, I spend my time in Colombia working with uh, community to develop uh, artistic styles, bring them back to life. And I felt that that's exactly what was happening in in at the university and in Campeche. People are not um, they're not complacent to to letting things disappear. They're they're fighting to to preserve a culture or a language. So. To be clear, you are saying that uh, you are Colombian, I was born, but yes. you are first indigenous, and yes. you are specifically Muisca and Pastos. Correct. And so you connected with the people in Campeche, mm -hmm. uh, I presume because one, you're from Latin America, maybe you spoke the Spanish language, the language of the colonial power, <laughs> um, but but maybe more you connected like indigenous to indigenous. Yeah, we shared stories. I mean, um, I have there, there are symbols, there, there are things around my body that um, a colleague would look and recognize and see, oh, you have snakes on your arms. I'm like, I do have snakes. And we talked about what the importance of snakes meant to each other. And, and, and then we talked about even uh, in terms of language, well, we shared what words meant to us and the root of law. We just, I mean, if I could have stayed there and talked for, for another two weeks with her, I think I would have, you know, gained a, a, a profound more understanding of each other. Um, even things that we found as interesting coincidences, uh, uh, words that mean the same thing for us, but maybe they're just a, uh, just a, a happenance. Like it just happened to be that way. So for people that aren't seeing you, so when you say you have snakes in your arms, oh, that yeah. sounds really <laughs> creepy. What does that mean? I, have, I should specify I have tattoos. <laughs> you have tattoos of snakes. Why do you have tattoos of snakes? Uh, what is the significance of that? <laughs> and why would these uh, Mayans in, in southern Mexico think that that's cool and interesting? I think we view the snakes in the same important regards uh, within within the Muisca culture a snake is uh, considered um, you can say like the 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 beginning of life mm -hmm. um, and so the the symbols that are on my arms both are coming from two specific um, things that I have accomplished that are meaningful that began another element of my life uh, one introducing a technique that had been lost to our culture bringing it back to life that was a change of life and the other one visiting a, a sacred site that was very important that was another change of life did you visit any sacred sites in campeche or oh, yes we visited two well we, we visited uh first of chichen itza and uh, what is that chichen itza it's uh, uh one Archie. of the wonders of, of the world and uh we are going to go uh the people that decide to go on our study abroad trip we will visit chichen itza but uh, we, uh, well, Chichen Itza is wonderful. You can see pyramids. Uh, we had a wonderful tour who was, uh, who, who was, was Mayan. And a local. Yes, uh, uh, and a local. But it was very, very crowded and hot. When, unlike when we went to the, uh, when we went to the ruins of Etna, that it's very similar place, but located in Campeche. And it's as fabulous as Chichen Itza, but it's not as crowded. Not yeah. cried a lot, and in fact, uh, it's a it's a it's a it's remarkable place because it is as big 
right, Mario? Mm -hmm. But it was just as though we had a VIP tour because it was just us. So these are like Mayan pyramids that you visited? Yes. Uh, uh, beyond pyramids, there are uh, astro, astro archaeological sites that are still functioning. Um, although they are uh, maybe uh, there have been reconstructions done to maintain them, the the um, the Mayan culture still considers those places as important cenotes as well as important. And what's so a cenote? A cenote is um, I, oh we have those here in Gainesville sinkholes, but like a sinkhole, like okay. a sinkhole with water inside of it. So like a cave, but like a cave, like yeah. a cave, an underground cave with water. Yes, and the stalactites or whatever they're yes. called. Yes, <laughs> yes. <I think> so. <laughs> and and these are you know uh, the Yucatan Peninsula is just is just c covered with them, and there's cenote. underwater. Cenote. Cenote. <laughs> and these cenotes, you can, you know, with uh, in certain areas, you can you can go inside of them and swim. Um, and so we were able to see these these really special places, both in terms of the the culture, the legacy, but also in terms of just their architecture. They're all being in front of a monument that is just it's just massive, and and you knew people made this, and you knew that that there was a, a a certain respect to the site really was uh, a changing uh, thing for for me at least it made me look at what what um we are capable of doing mm -hmm. as people likewise i was very impressed and uh, overall overall i was impressed with this ceremony that uh the president of wakam invited us to it was a ceremony of the celebration of a tree, of a native tree that grows in the campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would just have a faculty, a Maya faculty, uh, that would talk about the history, the mythology of this tree. And uh, students were there, and they were just celebrating the life of a tree. And I thought, how awesome. Imagine if we do that here with our own heritage crops and heritage foods to, do, to pay that respect from, the, from an institutional level. That, that makes me wonder, did you find that they had more respect for nature and the environment than what you might see here or more commitment to sustainability? Oh, for sure, for sure. When you go to any, uh, and, and that comes, I think, from a governmental uh, point of view, you go to any store and uh, if you want a, a plastic bag, you have to pay. Uh, like it's it starting on that, so th th that was the first approach, and then well, the layout of the university it was it was a clear marriage between um, you know landscape that's uh, urban and uh, and nature. You could see trees everywhere, and there were like little um, little lagoons, you would mm -hmm. say, little lagoons. But it was very well integrated. Yeah, and I think beyond a respect for nature is just an understanding of nature, an understanding that. Uh, I, I think in, in the in the uh, Chichen Itza site, we discussed what what one of the cenotes looked like, and 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 she showed us is like this is a dead cenote, and and it's interesting to think of a body of water as being dead, and you would think, well, is it because there's no fish, and and it's not necessarily that, it's because it doesn't it's not connected to a, its system. That cenote had been blocked. Cenotes often are connected through underwater rivers, and so it's the the water's it's crystal clear. But this cenote was a very murky water, and it's because the entrances and the exits had been blocked because people had excavated and mm. taken debris. The tree that my colleague here is referring to is the the ceiba, 
which is a sacred tree to the Maya, is a, is a tree of life for the Maya. And, it, and we got a chance to see one and be there for that planting ceremony. The, the, the we also planted. Plant we, we a also little bit, yeah. a little bit. We got yes. our hands dirty. Yeah, <laughs> for the picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm thinking, uh, Seba. What's a Seba in English? I'm trying to remember. No idea. I think Seba, it's... Um, All right. Well, it, maybe it might come to me later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's interesting as I'm hearing you speak of um, Mexico, southern Mexico, it, the Mayan people, the indigenous people, and you're, you're, you're speaking about them and about your experiences with such respect and awe. Mm. And usually... That's not what I hear, in, certainly not in the United States when people talk about Mexicans or even, you know, in members of Mexico's indigenous community. I think even here in Florida, in north central Florida, maybe 30 miles from here, you could find a lot of migrant farm workers who are Mexican. Many of them come from southern Mexico. They barely speak Spanish, mm -hmm. right? They speak different types of, of indigenous languages. And um, I've seen firsthand discrimination launched against them, not only by, um, you know, Americans, white Americans, but I've even seen it from Hispanics towards others. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's an issue that the people need to uh, reckon, uh, come to, to, their, to their senses, I guess, about the, the notion that... Um, that colonial mentality of superiority that is not immune to people, to anybody. They might, yes, you might speak the, you might come from the same country, but somehow you, you, you need the, you have the need to feel yourself as better than somebody else because of certain physical traits or, or cultural, um, backgrounds. And I think that, um, a trip like this, and I th and this is where I believe that education plays a, an, an amazing role. And I don't mean education in terms of like going to school or just going to school, but I mean exposing yourself and learning about other people and learning about other places, other foods, other um, sites, because you 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 are now creating a, a better repertoire of, of who that individual is beyond just what you've heard or beyond just your experience with maybe one person. So in the United States, um, we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month every year uh, from September 15th to October 15th. Uh, it's a moment that always makes me proud. I want to go out and say, that's right, I'm Hispanic, I'm Latina. Mario, do you celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month? I, I don't. I don't. Um, mostly of, I find it uh, uh, there's a conflict with celebrating a month that focuses so much on the the people of Latin America from one point of view, ignoring uh, a large majority of of uh, cultures and, and and individuals, and in fact sometimes these these events can be a little bit um, hurtful in terms of um, alienating uh, the people that were here originally that are still here and we're still practicing and still believing and still feeling the same way that we felt, and so. You mean indigenous people? Indigenous people, the yes. Indigenous people of the Americas. Yes, because I think that, the, um, but it's a difficult thing to have everybody understand because I think that that, that indigenous identity doesn't apply to every person of, of Central, South, and North America. Right. And so um, 
there are things that I feel that I just don't partake in because I it's not a celebration necessarily for me. I speak Spanish. Um, I was born in a what you would say like a Latin American country. I'm of Colombian citizenship, but that doesn't define me as an individual. That is just a circumstance. However, I talked to Maria said we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate it and we came uh, with a joint uh, collaboration with the art department and we put up um, a presentation, right? A presentation mm -hmm. on indigenous art from the Americas in which uh, we have a, an art an important artwork from a Bolivian painter that, who displays, uh, well, who paints and um, portrays indigenous women in a, in a very fearful way uh, that you can see now at the art gallery and Mario also uh, showed his art. Would you like to talk about that, Mario? Yeah, sure, beyond, um, and that's another thing, like how, how art is considered within the, the culture. Uh, beyond showing the art, it was we gave a lecture yes. about the subjects that we were displaying, both the painting and, and a vessel. Um, and in that lecture, I talked specifically about uh, reconstructing a lost technique and what it meant and what it means. Um, to indigenous I, people. To us, to the Muisca indigenous people of Colombia, because uh, I think the issue is that when we when we discuss Hispanic Heritage Month, um, it almost paints a picture that that this indigenous uh, struggle for independence, for self, for autonomy, self autonomy, self identification, for for space, um, it's it happened and it's done, and now we are a nation, and that's not the case. We're still dealing with 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 issues and we're still fighting for for territory that 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 belong to us we're still fighting to maintain our culture and our language the constitution of colombia in 91 uh just just two years a year or two years after i was born gave us the autonomy to uh educate ourselves as in, indigenous people in your language in our language in, in our culture for the first time because and they it, had been banned since colonial times yes correct? since 1700s for 200 years our language was banned and so this isn't a thing of the past. It's a thing that still occurs today. And so on that specific uh, month, um, I think that we spoke about showcasing that, that element. Did you see this same struggle, if you will, between minority indigenous communities in, in Mexico and then like the broader Mexican state and what it means to be a Mexican? Um, so we were only in an area of, of Mexico that was maybe is very unique. Uh, because of its population, its large population. But I think I do see it in terms of maybe um, in the larger picture, there's still a dis certain sense of discrimination. I think that when you look at the faces of who represents Latin America in terms of its leaders, movie stars, all that, it's it's very Colorism. centered on colonial, on, on the ideas of colonial beauty. Oh, colorism. Colorism. Mm -hmm. But What does that mean, colorism? Uh, well, we talk about this in my Latin American um, humanities class. When you see a soap opera from Mexico, you're going to see actors that are going to be white, uh, that, that are going to be with uh, uh, blue eyes, uh, and that have other <laughs> other phenotype than you would, uh, and you would not see an indigenous um, actor or actress. So that that's what colorism is. The wider you are, the more like uh, the more likelihood that you have to be on on a screen or or on the news. Or in uh, politics. All, all in politics. Yes. Yeah, so, so what was unique about Campeche was that as we were walking down the street, I saw billboards with indigenous faces mm -hmm. on it. And I, and I thought, this is refreshing for, for, for Latin America. And not in the sense that it has always been of like 
advocating for indigenous people so let me put an indigenous face it was just right. like a, a a billboard for like a, um, a product right and it just the, just the model we are. yeah <laughs> the model happened to be uh, uh, uh what was you know mayan woman yeah she was wearing mayan my entire and so how do you plan on taking this knowledge that you've gained to impact your courses or your work here at santa fe college Yes, experiential learning is transformative. And that's why Mario and I, uh, we are uh, crafting along with uh, our liaison, um, Monica Guerrero from Wacom, an experience for the students. And next summer, we plan to take students to Campeche, and they are going to be hosted as well uh, by the university. And we plan to go to Etna, to Chichen Itza, and have these um, exchanges uh, the, with students from Wacom, Mexican students. So, so the students that will go will have a truly exper uh, transformational experience. Mm -hmm. So what about the students that can't travel? Well, so we were thinking about that. And, you know, with COVID, uh, the virtual exchange had really taken off. And what is that? Is to provide, this, uh, to provide students an opportunity to travel without traveling, to get to know people from another culture without, uh, without actually going to another country. So how does this work? Um, a professor sets up a, sets up a Zoom room or a, another another media outlet to have students communicate among each other with a, with a classroom that takes place in a different university in a different country. So we are we also made a lot of contacts uh, to create virtual exchange opportunities for Santa Fe. Um, this is wonderful. How do you plan on taking all this knowledge and inserting it into just the existing classes that you already have? So uh, whether it be Spanish, Latin American humanities, some of the art classes, have, have you thought about ways to, to maybe insert some of the knowledge you gained there? Um, I think from the, personally speaking, from the subjects of, let's say, art appreciation, I was able to gather some images while I was there of, of, of documentation of, of paintings and, and, and um, buildings that we can discuss in context just uh, to add uh, more, I guess, uh, diversity in terms of the images that we see. Because um, we may be talking about, you know, landscape architecture, or we may be talking about in 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 a specific subject matter in our appreciation. We may be talking about formal analysis, um, and and so that's where that might be coming from. Additionally, the course that I that I've worked out for the study abroad, which could be applied here, it relates to the Mayan language and how to um, take a, not take advantage, but but be aware. I think that the coolest thing you could do is just learn another language. And in the Mayan language, uh, spoken and written, it's one of, if most of you don't know, it's one of the only, one of five instances where humans have developed written language independently of themselves. There's only, that has only happened about five times. The, the written language we use, Arab, Arabic uh, letters, that's one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what what people in China use is another one. Mayan is one of those five. It's one of those legacies that we have as human beings, and 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 it's I think it's nice to understand that it's not a a dead language. It still exists. And so what I want to do with with the uh, Universidad Autónoma is to maybe work a uh, use the resources to help students learn uh, a bit about the language, um, to be able to communicate, but also to communicate visually. 
the, the Mayan language in written form is one of the most, personally speaking, one of the most beautiful, beautiful, most graphic things you could see. It's just there was so much creativity with, with how they wrote, that um, I think it lends itself to be included in some kind of art studio course. Beautiful. What about you with your Latin American humanities class? Have you seen a way to inject any new material there? Oh, oh for sure. Uh, we already have a module on, on Mayan culture, but after going to Etna, I think there is so much more that I, that I can include and I uh, will be including. And uh, for my Spanish classes, uh, having the contacts from Campeche is going to be it's going to be very beneficial as I usually conduct a virtual exchange, uh, virtual exchanges that are focused on language. So I'll be conducting one uh, next spring with uh, uh, with a professor who teaches English in Campeche. So our students will be interacting with each other. Thank you both for um, sharing your experiences in Campeche, sharing the knowledge that you gained, and and letting us know how you intend to use this to impact student learning. Um, you're doing quite a bit to help develop um, globally competent citizens. Thank well, you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.